Welcome, everyone, to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. So there are more than a million international students studying in the U.S. right now. And it's such an important part of college life because they bring so much diversity and perspective and culture and language and understanding and opportunity, I think, for everyone. And they may encounter a series of challenges. You know, college is a big adjustment for anyone, but it, it's particularly an adjustment if, if it's a new language, culture, geography, you know, healthcare system and everything in between. So. I'm really excited to dig into the topic of international student success with my colleague, Debrup Laha, who's an engineer at Bureau Happold and who's been helping international students succeed in his spare time for years now. Welcome, Debrup. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks for having me for this podcast today. I'm really excited to share about what international students can do in their journey as they start in the U.S., as well as the different tips and tricks. So I'm really excited. For this podcast today. Me too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. To start, I mean, I came to the U.S. back in 2012 for my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from SUNY Buffalo. And right after that, I also went to grad school without any work experience. So I did another two years of master's in mechanical engineering from NYU Tandon School of Engineering. And after that, I decided to start my work life. And so I was like, okay, I mean, I've spent six years of my life in getting two degrees, so I want to get some work experience now. So after that, I got my first job in the U.S. I worked there for about two and a half years or so, and then COVID came. Had a little bit of adjustment. I mean, I changed to another smaller company to get a little bit more experience on the other side. And after that, once COVID got a little bit better, I applied to Bureau Happold and I'm here for more than one and a half years now. It's been a tremendous experience, very big company, diverse culture, offices all across the globe, which is the best part. So we can connect with people all across the globe and not just in the US or in New York in particular. So it's been a tremendous journey so far in the US from coming as a student, then transitioning to the industry optional practical training, which is the OPT, and then getting into the H-1B work visa and continuing the journey from then onwards. Tell us a little bit about how you've been helping. I know like helping other international students is kind of like a passion project for you. How have you been doing that? So international students, I feel, I mean, they're one of the most important chapters of a university is what I try to look at them as they occupy. I mean, they are a big percentage of the total student community. And when I came to the U.S., I realized that, that, I mean, at that time, social media was not so popular or not so widely used as they're used to. And so the different challenges I came across in the U.S. while I had to adjust to college education or in the new culture, I realized that I can help the students go through that. I mean, so that they don't have to undergo the same hardship as I do. So I started helping students while I was in my second year of master's, just 
telling them how to adjust to college, where to live, what are the different ways to apply for on-campus job, how to prepare for interviews, for internships, full-time roles, and to adjust in U.S. after that. Different ways to save money in the U.S. and so on. And I started that as a hobby, just to help students in my free time while I was a student. And then I continued the journey after graduation while I was working as well. And even I'm continuing, I'm, I'm now an alumni of NYU for more than five years. But still, I'm trying to help students, not just at NYU, but of other U.S. universities as well, where the international community is pretty big and diverse. That's great. You know, you you rattled off a whole bunch of things about how to adjust, where to live, how to work while you're in college, how to get an internship, where to work after college, how to save money. What are some of your top tricks or tips for these things? What about where to live and how to get an internship? Sure. I can divide this into three segments. I'll first talk about a little bit about housing, then about classes to choose, and then about work, which includes on-campus internship as well as full-time roles. Perfect. So starting with housing, initially when international students come, a lot of them want to go for off-campus housing, and few of them want to go for the on-campus, although on-campus housing is a little bit on the expensive side. But with on-campus housing, they don't really have to worry about like utility bills or where to find food because there's food on campus as well as you have a secured housing and you don't have to worry about security. But when students come for their graduate studies, I mean, they've already spent their uh, four years of college education back home in their home country. So they often try to go for off-campus housing because that's where they save money. But here comes a big thing, like a lot of students, when they want to go for off-campus housing, they filter by price. And sometimes the cheapest housing or the cheapest neighborhood might not always be the safest. So I recommend them to talk to alumni of their schools and to find out where they have stayed. What are the different like safe neighborhoods where they can stay and at the same time, While they're looking for safer neighborhoods, they should also take into consideration the commute time to school. I mean, staying one and a half hours away from school might not always be the greatest of ideas. So to find a feasible commute journey, as well as schools which are located near grocery stores, laundromats, as well as a few dine-outs or like restaurants where they can quickly go for some food if they have nothing cooked at home. So... These are some of the factors I ask them to choose. They can always look at crime maps as well. So for housing, don't just look at price, but think about kind of complexity. Are utilities included? Is the university going to take care of it for you versus are you going to go off campus and look at safety, commute, you know, and proximity, not just to campus, but to food and, you know, other things nearby. That's good advice. What about classes? Classes, I mean... Here I can tell a little bit about my experience as well. So when I started my master's degree, I mean, my goal was to get into the automotive industry. So I was trying to take courses which are more inclined towards manufacturing, quality, and design. But then my advisor, who was also a professor at the university, recommended me to just take some HVAC-related courses of mechanical engineering. I was not too much intrigued or interested in that sector, but he recommended me to just explore that and take those two courses. And, I mean, it's I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, 
those few courses helped me to crack my interviews and get into the HVAC sector or in the MEP industry. And that's where I excelled and that's where I've been working now. So when I look back at my journey and I'm like, okay, had the professor not uh, recommended me to take those HVAC courses, I probably wouldn't have explored and I probably would have not been working in this industry at all and haven't found this industry experience as interesting as I enjoyed now. I mean, initially it was a little tough, but then slowly as I got more experience, it got a little bit interesting. So my recommendation to students is to not confine themselves to just their interests. It's always recommended to go for your interest. But if there is an advisor or peer or alumni of the university is recommending them, okay, just go explore some of the other avenues, then they should be open-minded and also explore those. And classes are important because based on your experience and based on your interest, you're going to be choosing the sector where you'd be working. And you'd also have to explore as all international students, where the job industry is for international students, where the job market is willing to sponsor the students for their H-1B visa. Like first they'll have to, the companies will need to hire the students on work permit, which is OPT, and then they'll have to sponsor for H-1B and green card. So having a clear mindset or clear vicinity to how they can explore this job journey where the visa sponsorship is possible is also a very important factor while students are at school. I like that. So do some exploring with your classes and try and connect the classes to potential careers and get advice from peers, advisors, and and alumni to do that to kind of inform your exploration. Yep. What's next on your list? Next on my list is resume. So Students, when they come to the U.S., at least for the graduate students, their first goal is, how are the internships like? How do I prepare for interviews? How do I get an on-campus job? I know they are very excited at the time, but I tell them, okay, take one step back and tell me about your resume. So when I look at international students' resumes, there are multiple varieties I've seen. Some having their photos in resumes, some are three pages without even having work experience. So I try to recommend students, and which I've learned from my own experience as well, is to have the resume restricted to one page if they have less than three years of experience and confine the resume in such a way that you put your name, phone number, email address, address, and then a couple of lines about your educational experience and then straight going to skills and work experience. Usually employers try to focus a lot on what your work experience is. So I recommend students that, okay, when you don't have any work experience, try to frame the project experience that they get from classes as a work experience. So treat the project same as work, make bullet points to describe the work experience, not to spend more than three or four bullets per project or per experience, and start every sentence with an action verb. So there are lots of online resources where action verbs are usually available. So start the sentence with action verbs as quantified this work or dedicated few hours in student counseling. So some words like that, instead of starting, I was responsible for doing this, not have full sentences, but start every sentence with some action verbs. Actions, then, yeah. You know, these are one of the most important factors I've noticed. And after that, after having the resume, get that reviewed. So there are school, university, like career centers, which do a resume review. 
And at the same time, it doesn't hurt to get a second or a third opinion. So send it to alumni, send it to students of their own industry who are now currently working. And there are online portals like Resume Worded, which is a very important portal, I would say. I've used that and their students just upload their resume and they get a free score and some feedback. I recommend students to work on that feedback and try to improve the scores and re-upload again. A good score is about 75 to 80, I would say. But sometimes the resume is very good, but it's not formatted properly. That's why it gets a lower score. But I've seen resumes, very good resumes, but not formatted properly. So when they're formatted and uploaded, and they get a higher score. And usually all the big companies use the ATS tracking tools. So if somebody is getting a good score on resume awarded or similar websites, it's likely that their resume will pass through the ATS screening and before reaching a human interviewer or a recruiter. So resumes, I would say one of the most important factors when students are applying for internships or full-time roles. What about, I mean, the Career Center is a, is a super valuable resource for resume reviews. What about things like mock interviews and getting on Handshake to find jobs? Does that come up in your conversations? Quite a bit. Not just Handshake for on-campus jobs. Yes, Handshake is one of the portals. Mm -hmm. And for different on-campus jobs, they are not even published, which often go like with word of mouth. So have a great network with professors, other students, just to get an idea that what's available. And if there is a vacancy, students always tell that to their juniors that, hey, there's a vacancy in our lab and we are looking for a student, will you be available? So these often don't get published. And so having a good network is important. Now, when it comes to internships or full-time roles, apart from Handshake, there are many other portals like Indeed, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn, Monster, and many other websites. So I recommend students not just restrict themselves to only the handshake portal, but also explore different portals where many jobs are available. And at the same time, re reach out to other student community and go for national conferences. I have been part of a national like a society, which is Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, which is SHEP. And I'm neither Hispanic or Latino, but these student communities or chapters are very much diverse and they accept students from all communities. You need to be very active in those. So once we become an active member, then we go to, we get to attend their regional and national conferences, which are held like once a year for three to four days. So in that national conference, we get to do hackathons, career fairs. Then there are different lunch and learn sessions where each company hosts a one-hour session and then they talk about the company. And then after the session, the company representative asks the students if they have any questions. So that's where students get another opportunity to build network and get to know about the company and talk to them and directly apply. And these conferences actually have, I've seen they have actually had interview booths directly in the conference. So I recommend students to not only attend it, but also look in advance, what are the companies which are attending there? and apply for the roles in advance. And I've seen that with, I mean, when I was going for one of these conferences, a friend of mine who was also an international student had applied before and while we were driving to the conference, he got a call from the company and they were asking if he's attending the conference and then they'll have their HR round of interview directly there. 
So attending these conferences gives them a slightly edge over the others as they get to directly talk to the engineers, the hiring managers, as well as the HR recruiters who are directly associated with the roles. So these are another great ways to network and to find jobs. And the last thing I would say when it comes to job interviews is explore their city. Like bigger cities have various networking events happening all across the year. So be active in LinkedIn, see what's happening in and across the city and try to attend those networking events. Sometimes students have told me these events are clashing with their classes. So I recommend them. What I do is talk to the professors, explain them that there's a very important networking event and it might help them in their career afterwards. So if they can skip the classes and take the notes from the professor or if there can be a recorded version of the same so that they can get the information of the classes later while they can utilize the time to attend the networking event. So these are in brief about how to get into the job industry and get hired. Yeah, I think it's it's really great advice because it's the kind of the table stakes, the basics are format resume and LinkedIn with accomplishments and actions, you know, and have people look at it have it scored, go to the career center. But that's kind of like the baseline, that's the minimum. And it sounds like there's two like proactive ways to go beyond that. One is the way you build your on-campus network, talking to people about internships, ways to get involved in research projects and labs, but also networking off-campus through conferences and trying to use conferences as a way to build your network, connect to people, research the companies that are going to go there, you know, and then use them as a chance to meet people, you know, that may be hiring, if not immediately in the future. I love that advice. Yep. So in our last few minutes here, what are the barriers that international students face when they're trying to do these things, right? When they're trying to pick the right housing, pick the right classes, you know, find internships and jobs? What's stopping people from doing these things? And, you know, what can they do to get over or around these kinds of barriers? So for housing, one of the barriers which I've seen in bigger cities is always landlords or brokers looking for a credit score and U.S. income and credit history. So international students coming for the first time, they don't have SSN. So this is where they can use something called guarantors. So guarantors, it can be any of their relatives who are in the U.S. and they'll have to show their income. That is one way. And there, if they don't have any relatives, then there are multiple websites or companies like the guarantee, I think that's the name. They're pretty popular and they act as guarantors for the students for a small fee, which they have to pay, but it's definitely worth it. And that way, students won't have to initially worry about getting their first housing. And after that, it's recommended to apply for on-campus job as soon as possible because that helps them to get an SSN. And with an SSN, they can get credit cards and build their U.S. credit history so that in the future, they won't have these problems when they have a job and then they'll have their U.S. income as well as good credit. So this is one thing which I've noticed and I've recommended students. When it comes to work, and this is mostly internships and full-time roles, so international students in the U.S., when they first apply for internships, it is through curricular practical training, which is CPT, and then for full-time through OPT, which is optional practical training, during which they'll need to get sponsored for the H-1B work visa by the company. 
So in this situation, companies always don't sponsor students. So it gets really difficult for international students to find companies which are H-1B friendly. But there are various portals like My Visa Jobs is one of them, H-1B Grader, then USCIS H-1B, H-1B Employer Data Hub, FLC Data Center. And there are many other websites where students can navigate through employers, like they can just put the name of a company and then the location and they can get an idea of what are the roles companies have sponsored in the past, like for what role sometimes. Many companies might have sponsored for H-1B visas, but those might be for more senior roles. So students will need to put their effort a little bit here to make sure that companies are accepting or have accepted entry-level roles in the past and have sponsored for H-1B visa. And if they have done that, that's a good indication that those companies are willing to hire students for internships through CPT and train them and then hire them back for the full-time roles on OPT on H-1B. So having this clarity is very important and not apply for every roles in every companies because that might be a waste of time because not a lot of companies, especially in the defense area, they mostly look for U.S. citizens with secret clearance. So I don't recommend them to apply in those. So this is one challenge which I have often seen. And another challenge which I have noticed among students is they are not willing to accept any on-campus role. They are mostly willing to go for only teaching assistant or research assistant roles. And I recommend them just not to go for those, have an open mind again, because firstly, it's paying for their living. I mean, they can literally get their living and housing expenses through the on-campus role, irrespective of what the role is. And sometimes you learn new skills, which are really important when they're applying for full-time roles and internships. And here I have a small story to share. Like one of my friends, very close friend of mine, she was working at one of the uh, admissions office at NYU. And she learned some skills related to Salesforce in that role from the little that I've got to know. And believe me or not, that is one of the most important skills which she's using in her full-time role today. Yeah, don't dismiss an on-campus job just because it's not a teaching assistantship or a fellowship because there might be quite valuable skills in there. Yeah. Marketable skills. Well, Debrup, this is great. I feel like you packed an hour and a half of advice into half an hour or less. And I, I really appreciate your insight and you know your firsthand experience with everything from visas to internships, to housing, to classes, and appreciate you know the work you've been doing to help international students in your spare time as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. It was great speaking with you about this journey that I've had. And also, hopefully the students who will be listening to this podcast will be able to get some insights. And I'm always there to help every international student so they can reach out to me via LinkedIn. International students, they're my friends. So every international student, no matter which school they are from, they are my friends. So I'm ready to help every international student in their journey in the U.S. And thank you very much because you're doing a great work in advocating for students as to how to explore college and what are the things they should do while they're preparing for college and while they're in college. If students listen to all of your podcasts and read your book, I read your book. It is a great resource for every international student. And I feel they should definitely go to Amazon, get the book and read this. And some of the tips mentioned there will be very helpful for students, not just international students, but domestic as well. Thank you so much.
really enjoyed this conversation and and appreciate all your all your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book.